0: You know, over the summer when um, I was thinking about this year and thinking about a way to do a year of looking at the overarching wisdom we find in Scripture and trying to lay it out and thinking, oh, well, we've got to have a section on the prophets. And I went through and found places and lined them up with parables. Well, I wish I'd thought more about it because I'm getting a little tired of it. <laughs> this is hard. Um, and it's not getting better today, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Um, no, there's some good stuff in there. I will say, if you haven't been following us these past three weeks, um, it has kind of built in the way that, for me, for us thinking of a church, how we are to hold some of this and practically think about how do we leave into, live into these prophetic voices, but also how Jesus carries that forth um, into the Gospels with this parable. So I invite you, go back. If you've missed the first few Sundays of October, go back and listen to those previous sermons because they kind of build on each other. And today we are continuing in Amos, looking at pieces of chapter 6 and then jumping to chapter 8. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So beginning at the top of chapter 6 in Amos, jumping to 4 and then jumping to chapter 8. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and, like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the reverie of the loungers shall pass away. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place, be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the epop small and the shekel great, and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son at the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, the book of Amos, um, it's one of the earliest prophetic books, and you can just tell from the brief place that we read this week and last week, there's not a whole lot of images of hope and comfort. In fact, it has just simply been called the book of doom. And Amos's job clearly was not an easy one. He was a prophet, they lived lives full of fear and sadness and loneliness. After all, who wants to be the one to announce this? The Lord said to me, the end has come. I will never again pass them by. I mean, we know what generally happens to people who start to shine a light in the dark corners of practices taking place right in front of us, maybe practices we participate in. And this is what Amos does by saying, hear this. You that trample on the needy, bring ruin to the poor, saying we will make the epop small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. And you don't make a whole lot of friends, saying the Lord, the Lord has sworn, surely I will never forget their deeds. that day, I will make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn their feast into mourning and their songs into lamentation. The time is surely coming. Amos, this book of doom, it kind of moves from calling for repentance for the people to just saying, time's up. The end has come. So no, no one likes to be the bearer of bad news. But that's Amos' task. He's called to speak to those that have simply lost themselves in opulence they're lying on ivory beds lounging on beautiful couches while people in close proximity struggle and their nation languishes their party music is playing so loud they can't even hear the pleas for justice around them their bodies are so satiated they can't even imagine being hungry Their houses and neighborhoods are so opulent, they're sheltered from having to witness the poverty in which others live. As a result, they avert their eyes and their ears, they play their fiddle or harp, while immense suffering goes on around them. And they seem to be at ease, oblivious to the plight of their neighbors. Exactly how extravagant is Amos trying to say um, is this life that he is addressing? Well, it says they eat lamb and calves in a time when meat was rarely eaten in ordinary life, and they drink wine from bowls. Did you catch that? Not glasses, Um, which in and of itself says something. It kind of reminds me of that scene in the Hunger Games when they're at, when PETA and Katniss are at the party at District 1. Do you know what I'm talking about? And everyone's partying and they realize they're drink- the people who are partying are drinking things so they can throw up and eat more. And all Katniss and PETA can picture is the poverty in their own district. And just the excess of all this would be bad enough, right? Bad enough if we read this. But the second half Of verse 6 in chapter 6, after it names all this excess, it gets to the heart of it. You do all of this, but you're not even grieved over the ruin of Joseph. In other words, the charge, the wrong, is just their indifference and apathy. They're complacent, self-satisfied, too apathetic to even notice or to mourn. The plight of the oppressed in their midst. They simply do not see it. So hold Amos alongside the parable we find in Luke. A lot of times, Jesus' parables, um, if you allow yourself to notice, they're just continuations of the wisdom from the prophets. And this parable is pretty straightforward. You've got a rich man who lives in a large house. He throws parties every day. It doesn't sound like he's a robber or a cheat or that he gained his wealth illegally. He's simply taken advantage of the economic system. His wealth may have come through inheritance, family connections, hard work. We don't really know. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't seem to be the point. What we know is that at the edge of the rich man's estate lay a poor beggar suffering Day after day, he reaches out for tidbits of bread only to be ignored, to be not seen, left to continue in his agony. Now this is a parable like many of Jesus' parables. That's a parable of reversals where Jesus kind of turns everything upside down. And this happens in more than one way. First of all, the rich man is the one given no name. He's just a rich man. And this unseen poor man has a name, Lazarus, which means God helps. And by the end of the story, roles are completely reversed. It says, you know, in this life, rich man was given good things while Lazarus had evil things. And by the end, Lazarus is carried away by the angels and the rich man suffers. What's interesting about this parable is we don't explicitly hear the rich man's wrongdoing. It's not like we're given this laundry list of all the ways he messed up. We're not even really told anything particular about Lazarus's goodness. Nothing to kind of justify this reversal. What we do hear are the echoes of Jesus' first sermon, which promises good news to the poor. What we do hear are cautions against materialism and abundance and the lack of care for our neighbor. What we hear is that heaven is for those who are forsaken by others, heaven is for those who are not seen. What Luke and Amos both proclaim with these passages is that God is on the side of the oppressed, the poor the marginalized, the downtrodden, and that God judges those who ignore the poor and who make the invisible, the voiceless, the marginalized, that at some basic level, wandering away from faith means wandering away or not seeing the one who is positioned right outside the gate, not seeing the one suffering, the one being cheated, the one in pain. Now, there's more than one reason um, that this month has been an interesting month to hold these and has been a lot uh, to think through Um, because there's something else I couldn't help but hold with the words of Amos and the parable of Luke this week, a week where once again A a reality of war is present for the Palestinian and Israeli people. While another week goes by where war continues to be a reality for the Ukrainian and Russian people. You know, the rich man was able to ignore Lazarus and be content in his own wealth because he didn't see Lazarus. He didn't see the humanity of Lazarus. He didn't see Lazarus as fully human. If he saw him at all, he was just a poor, begging man. The people to whom Amos speaks, those cheating others so that they may continue in their own place of contentment, they didn't see those that they were cheating as fully human, if they saw them at all war is erupting again because we fail to see the full humanity of the other. As Mother Teresa said so well, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. Because what's really going on in Amos, In Luke is the continuation of the story of Genesis, a reminder of the connectedness of our social existence. We're connected to one another. We're connected to the earth itself. This is part of God's creative purpose. And when we forget that, when we begin to not see one another and not see someone as fully human, well, it makes it very easy to create them as the other, or worse, to treat them as if they were not human at all. And we can do some pretty terrible things to those we fail to see as fully human. Uh, the history in this country alone proves that. Now, put a pin in that because I'm about to make a pretty big jump to something not named in Amos and Luke, um, but a named reality in our culture currently that I think is part of this not seeing and not being seen. The US Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy has a podcast called House Calls. I don't know if any of you have listened, but recently it was on loneliness and isolation. He released this episode after his advisory on the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And he said, you know, loneliness is at the heart, the core of so many of the health issues that we face. That there is crisis of disconnection within our country, that half of the people in the U.S. report experiencing loneliness and that some of the highest rates are among young people. The number of people with close friends is decreasing and that loneliness and isolation affect um, our health with increased risk of depression and anxiety things we see going up um, cardiovascular disease dementia diabetes he names a lot in the podcast so it's worth a listen Um, but ultimately he names this being connected to one another is foundational for us it's at the core of what we need as human beings, so that we can show up in our lives and show up in our communities. That At our basic, we belong to one another. He did say at one point in the podcast that said that, uh, well, you may be asking, how bad really is the problem? Is it really that bad? And he said if you asked him this question 10 years ago, he would have said it was just a small group of people who had experienced loneliness. But now, after listening and learning and talking to so many people, he says it's people across age groups, rural and urban, people in workplaces and those working at home, that one in two Americans experience loneliness. And again, it's the greatest among young people. Now he names a lot of trends going on, um, but one that speaks to us as church, one trend increasing loneliness among individuals is simply that participation in organizations that bring us together has decreased in the last five to six decades. And he names that collective connection, um, this sense of community we get from being part of organizations, churches just being one, that this collective connection is one of the three connections we need the most. The others being intimate and relational, and I'm not going to go into all of the podcast does, but you're welcome to listen to it. The bottom line is this. We need in-person interaction. It's incredibly important, and there's no full substitute for that. We're hardwired to connect with one another. So why insert... This whole little message on loneliness and isolation in the middle of this whole other message of Amos and Luke. Well, to me, Amos and Luke give voice to what happens when we don't remember that we're connected to one another, when we fail to see one another, and what happens to us when we are the ones unseen, War reminds us of what happens when we don't remember we are connected to one another, when we fail to see one another, what happens to us when we are the ones unseen. The words of Amos, um, the end is near, and the story of the rich man and Lazarus with their different realities at the end of life, These are not stories that say, be compassionate, don't cheat people, do what is right, because Jesus scared you into it. No, they're stories that remind us that God is always on the side of the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized. They are stories that say that the good news of Jesus Christ is that those who the world leaves unseen are seen and loved by God. And our job, our job is to simply live into this good news. To remember that, first of all, we are fully seen, fully valued, fully loved, so that we may fully see, fully value, and fully love those in our midst. You know, last week, as we looked at another part of Amos and another parable of Jesus, I asked us as church to reflect on justice as healing, how we might offer healing in our own little corner of the world. One thing I took from the Surgeon General's podcast was that just seeing one another and being seen is one way to begin to heal our world. If we really are living in an epidemic of loneliness and isolation, then as church, we have good news to share and work to do. We can say to our little corner of the world, you are seen, you are invited, you are welcomed. We can see those in our midst and say, come Find a place of connection, a place to belong. We've got a chair for you. May it be so. Amen.